Hello, everybody. What's going on? Tyler here again with part two of the four-part series that I'm doing for my School of Portfolio project. Last time, we covered high school athletics and how they're dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And this time, we're going to be doing the NCAA. Uh, Obviously, this has been on uh, the minds of a lot of people with the cancellation of March Madness, uh, the other winter sports um, losing their tournament time, and also, obviously, all the spring athletics either barely even getting to play, um, or some even just losing the end of the season going into playoffs as there are a bunch of spring sports in college. So like I said, uh, we'll just be going over, you know, all the aspects of how the COVID-19 pandemic has influenced sport. And this time it will be the NCAA. So without further ado, we'll roll the intro and get right into it. On his second straight in overtime, Salcido down the alley to the middle. Tromboli in traffic shoots. The freshman has career start. 12 11 the final. Wow! Seven seconds left. Stotts is going to have to let it fly. He checks the clock. Rice with one. Oh! It's over. Rice to Donahue. Ball game. Here we are once again here on the Behind the Back podcast. We'll be covering the NCAA and the COVID-19 pandemic on this week's episode. And so if you've been living under a rock, uh, it was pretty much a massive whirlwind of all the news of cancellations way back in late March, uh, even mid-March, and obviously going into April. But it kind of took schools no time, especially after the Ivy League promptly uh, decided to cancel the basketball tournament uh, for the conference, which would lead into the March Madness, of course, um, as well as canceling um, their lacrosse athletics um, at, at Ivy League schools. And so that sort of got the ball rolling as far as all the other schools taking action. And it wasn't long until all schools followed suit and March Madness itself decided that it would stop all uh, operations. There was the thought floated of having no fans, and then it quickly turned into nothing at all. And that's where we've been ever since. Uh, college athletics have seemingly all but ceased as all universities have gone online at least for over a month, month and a half at this point, and um, may even be looking at that in the fall, but that is for a different conversation. So like I said, if you haven't known by now, um, it was a very, very hectic time to be living in and a lot of uncertainty, and so this is where we are now with the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and college sports, and we're just going to look and break all of that down. So similarly to high school, um, this is on a much larger scare, scale excuse me, and a much larger spotlight, um, but it's much more, much more impactful and significant uh, than high school. Maybe not in the emotional sense like we did talk about in the other episode, um, but you have a lot more things uh, like career paths, uh, professional implications in terms of getting drafted and players moving beyond just the college stage, and you obviously just have, um, similar to high school, Uh, to the point that some people don't go on to play in college. Uh, I think the number was around 3%. 
uh, and some people only have high school athletics. Uh, in this case, everyone is at college for the same reason, and they are there to play whatever sport it is. And without that opportunity to play that final go-around to which you won't have a feeling like this moving forward ever again, uh, it's similar in that regard. And so um, it's a lot. It's, it ties in an emotional and more of a, uh, a legitimate life um, impact as well in terms of the college game. So in terms of all the sports, you have roughly half of the college baseball and softball seasons being uh, ruined and lost. Uh, they do get started a little earlier than most other sports, um, especially the ones out west that with the warmer weather. And uh, so they get the ball rolling pretty quick. So I think a lot of the baseball teams got around 15, 17 games in. Um, I don't think they play any more than 40. So it was around halfway through the season. Um, doesn't take away the fact that it's... Um, it's, it's rather, you know, unfortunate, um, along with all the other seasons. Uh, however, they did at least get to play uh, a, good, a good portion of their season compared to others. Uh, you have the rowing season gone. Uh, you have the majority of the college lacrosse season, uh, who most teams only played up to six games or so, um, seven at most. Uh, but I think that's very, very few teams that uh, got to start in the first week Uh, compared to the second week where all teams started participating. So for the most part, it's five and six games for uh, men's and women's lacrosse. You have the golf seasons gone, tennis, as well as men's volleyball and women's water polo. Those were both those last two sports. I was not aware they were specific to the spring, um, given their counterparts happened in the fall. uh, On the contrary, so that was interesting and eye-opening to me when I was taking a look at all this, just on a side note. Um, And then obviously, like I mentioned in the introduction, you have the tail end of winter sports um, all lose out on their postseason possibilities uh, and the national tournaments, of course, um, namely hockey, uh, as well as March Madness with men's and women's basketball, which we know uh, takes the nation by storm every March and April. um, And those were also lost. And so those will be the teams and the sports that we're going to dive into here and sort of honor as best as we can. But before we do that, I'd like to reach out to all those college students and try to speak to them for just a moment, like I did with the high school students. First off, I know it sucks. It's heartbreaking. You've put in so many hours upon hours to embark on this final journey with your friends and teammates, and it's been taken from you in a moment's notice. Whether that forces you to call it quits for good, or if you do elect to use your final extra year of eligibility that you were granted... If you do that elsewhere, or if you do stay at the same school, do what's best for you. But just know that you won't get this opportunity ever again. You won't be able to play college athletics once it's all said and done. So while you are at school still, if you are using that extra year, or if you aren't, take it, use it, have fun, earn that graduate degree possibly while you're at it. It could be something you regret not doing, And it could be something that you loved that you did for the rest of your life. Don't let this pandemic ruin your three and a half years prior to this moment. Remember all the good. Remember all that you learned and that you put forward that got you to this point. It was all for a reason. And that changed you all for the better. However, conference titles are forever. And national championships are immortal. And an undefeated season rather legendary 
And although you and many other special programs didn't get to live out those aspirations, and maybe you will by staying another year, see it as a chance to motivate you and achieve other goals in your life going forward. It's not a conference title, but it's a promotion. It's not a hat trick, but it could be a raise. Dominate the next level of competition as if you would or could be if you were still playing. Now, speaking of dominating your sport, as sports fans, it wouldn't be fair to not honor, celebrate, and speculate about all the fantastic programs that could have been this year. Firstly, let's start with two standout programs in men's and women's basketball, both sort of unsung heroes in a sense. Firstly, you have the Aztecs of San Diego State. They were headed into the tournament with a 30-2 and record, a program best and the best that they've done since years ago when Kawhi Leonard led them to a number two seed. And they were the surprise story of the nation. This year, they were the same. They were 26-0 before their first loss, and although they did lose in the Mountain West Championship to Utah State, they were still bound for a number three seed in the NCAA tournament. They were absolutely phenomenal. They certainly shocked the nation. They were comprised of a bunch of transfers from other schools, mid-tier schools, and uh, it really would have been something to see them do some damage in the tournament, similar to that of a Loyola Chicago uh, and other schools, although they weren't much of an underdog. Like I said, coming in at a three seed, um, I think they could have really shown everybody why they would have been given such a high number like that. Back in the women's world now, Marist Basketball, went 26-4. and four. Now, they weren't ranked on any of the boards uh, and the major polls, uh, which is surprising, but an 18-2 and in-conference record, they ended the season on a 12-game win streak heading into the MAC tournament. It was their best record since the early 2010s when the Foxes last made the NCAA tournament. Four out of the five starters were seniors who watched this program improve from the moment they entered it. And it's unfortunate that they didn't get that chance to win out the MAC, get that bid into the tournament, and go dancing. Next on my list, heading back to my college town up in Ithaca, New York, the Cornell men's and women's hockey teams both ranked number one at the end of the season at the same time. It's the first time in the program's history that both squads were ranked number one at the same time in the same polls, etc., they were rolling, to say the least. The men's team with a record of 23-2-4, that's two losses if you are unfamiliar with hockey records, while the women had a record of 28-2-3. They were both downright outstanding and absolutely incredible. I was able to go do a video package on those two teams, head and watch their practice, talk to some of the players and the head coaches, and uh, they were certainly dialed in getting ready for this uh, tournament play uh, within the ECAC and obviously the national tournament. And it's really unfortunate thinking back now that sitting there in that interview, they had no idea that in just a week's or two's time um, that they would not be able to live out those dreams. They had nine seniors between the two teams who won't get to live out and see that final product. Now, next up, I have men's and women's lacrosse. Lacrosse is rather a niche sport in college. I don't think many, many people follow it. And so uh, in terms of doing a broad sports um, spectrum on this show, um, I will probably dive into some better detail on lacrosse only because I know most about it. Um, but I think it'd be a good point of view and perspective for people to hear about. 
And so lacrosse featured a pretty similar storyline to a lot of these other leagues. They had outstanding teams and seasons going on. Uh, You had the Princeton Tigers, similar to the Aztecs of San Diego State, uh, launch themselves onto the map. The Tigers hadn't made an Ivy League tournament with simply one win in the last four seasons. And now this year saw themselves at the number three spot nationally in the polls through their first five games. The Tigers were led by the nation's best player, inarguably, Michael Sowers, who accumulated 47 points with an average of 9.4, yes, you're hearing that correctly, points per game in those first five games, uh, with the likes of an upset over number two ranked and previous national champions, the Virginia Cavaliers, uh, effectively putting them on the map officially and uh, giving Michael Sowers, who had eight points in the game, close to his average, um, the notoriety he deserved as he's established himself over the last three years as one of the best attackmen in the country. And he was slated to have probably one of the historically better seasons as an attackman, ultimately win the Tawaratan Award, which is the Naismith Award, um, if you're familiar with basketball at least, or the Heisman in football. This is the best player in the country given an award for his efforts. And so it was in a fascinating lacrosse season, across the board at least. On top of this Michael Sowers and Princeton Tigers story, you had an entirely loaded senior class making impacts all over the country. And especially in the instance that the Ivy League, which featured the Princeton Tigers, of course, uh, they had three teams in the top five of the national polls, as well as a fourth that uh, was in the top 20. And so... They were off the charts. Uh, It was an extremely successful season for the Ivy League, which routinely has only had maybe one or two uh, decent teams in years past on average. And this this period, you had three top five talents, um, given also a fourth among the top 20. And the likelihood that three of those teams could have made the NCAA tournament is not out of this world and quite frankly would have been incredible to watch and would have made for a hellacious Ivy League tournament battle as well. And that's just one of the many um, unfortunate things that we will never get to see play out uh, from the men's lacrosse season. Now, there have been a good handful of players from other teams that have said they would be returning to their respective schools or they put their names into the transfer portal and decide that they will use the extra year of eligibility to play somewhere else if they were not to return to their school due to either financial issues, scholarship issues, uh, or other things, family decisions. But what's interesting is in the instance of the Ivy League, given that it was so talented, it was remarkably unfortunate that they did not allow the fifth-year players They did not allow players to use a fifth year at their teams, at their universities, uh, forcing those players who did want to continue their career in college, possibly for pro aspirations or wanting to just get that closure, and they'd have to go somewhere else. And so it's sort of a heartbreak as we've seen a number of players being quoted saying they would do everything in their power to return to their team and play with all of their friends again, but it's simply not in their cards and out of their control. Um, This is on top of seniors not being able to return because of scholarship allocations, as I mentioned um, as an issue just before. Uh, And this has led to a major, and it will lead to, 
a major spreading out, a diaspora of all these talented players. This is happening in lacrosse, but I'm sure in other sports I imagine a similar case is happening, um, given that the Ivy League rule is not specific to just lacrosse, and that other teams in general across sports like baseball and all the others I mentioned at the start of this episode, uh, they will be in a similar position with uh, bringing in new recruits and obviously bringing back players on scholarships or none at all. However, that falls on the financial shoulders of those players and their families. And so there's a million different strings pulling this uh, in a bunch of different directions. And I think that this is going to have ramifications on NCAA uh, athletics, uh, particularly lacrosse at least, because I'm seeing the most information about it, uh, but possibly all sports for many years uh, to come, at least probably five years down the road, maybe a little more, um, just with the roster spots available, um, simply just not enough locker room space. Even one coach pointing out that we'd have to double up lockers and no one wants to do that. And um, simply coaches are just scratching their heads because this is something that they never would have imagined. Um, But one thing is for sure, and the 2021 spring season is going to be especially unique and uh, will certainly demand an asterisk in the history books, Um, whether it be statistics, um, whether that extra half season that players had um, is, you know, given to them in the record books. I'm sure that's something that the NCAA is probably going to rule on. Uh, come around next season Um, but whether somebody gets four and a half years of stats to uh, put into the record books um, is definitely a a hotly debated topic and so that amongst other things is going to make next season uh, very very unique and um, rather cool because it's somewhat of a free agency uh, in college which has never been the case because it's a college sport Uh, but it's something that it's going to be fun to see new players uh, in New Jersey's all over, sort of helping build rosters that would normally uh, never would have imagined having someone like that on the team. And um, sort of just the effect of seeing them in a different jersey is uh, just weird in itself. Uh, to go back to that Princeton Tiger example, the attackman Michael Sowers actually, just considering he went to an Ivy League, was forced to transfer to use that extra year if he wanted to. And so he just recently committed that he would go to Duke pending the admission process. And so that sends shockwaves through the nation as Duke was one of the uh, nationally ranked teams. They've always been great. They've been to the last two or three Final Fours uh, in the national tournament. And so adding an attackman like that to a high-caliber roster um, any given year uh, has sent people into uh, a frenzy. And so that is just one example of players of this caliber having to deal with with this situation and deciding where they want to go. Now switching over to girls lacrosse. They had just as great as year as the men's. Not a situation like the Ivy League out there. Uh, the ACC had its good round of teams as usual, but a stellar senior class similar to the men's um, all amongst these great teams. You have number one ranked UNC, number four Syracuse, who are poised for tournament runs led by standouts like seniors, Emily Howershock of the Orange, and Katie Hogue for the Tar Heels? Or what about the number five Seawolves of Stony Brook, who were just a few years removed from their national title run, uh, with senior duos Allie Kennedy and Taryn O'Miller. O'Miller, the sister of one of the better college lacrosse players uh, in recent memory, Kylie O'Miller. 
that duo running the offense and helping Stony Brook to that number five spot. Or the undefeated USC Trojans with the fifth-year attackman Emily Concialdi, who, by the way, is an alumni of my high school. Had to give her a shout-out there, but um, rightfully so, leading the team in points in her final, final year, um, giving that USC roster a number eight ranking in the nation before the shutdown. And lastly, what about Virginia Tech? The Hokies were having an unprecedented season, or at least were on track to. They started out 7-3, and three, at least that's what they finished the season with, and they tied for their best start to a season since 2018, which is just two years ago, and that year they finished 14-7, and seven. but this year's Hokie squad was definitely slated to do better than that. They were on pace for a best, their best season in program history since its inception in 1995, over 20 years ago. Not to mention their two midfielders, a freshman and a junior, having exceptional seasons from the midfield with 45 points and 43, respectively, both top 10 in the nation. That Virginia Tech squeaking in at the 20 spot at the close of the season in the national rankings, but certainly could have been bound for higher and even better dreams in the national tournament, and I'm sure that they're not happy given that the best season in program history, or at least what could have been, was so suddenly derailed. Jumping over to volleyball now, men's volleyball that is. What about it? Why does it matter? Well, how about this? Springfield College, Division Three powerhouse. And I didn't want to talk about the Division One powerhouses like Hawaii, Pepperdine, and such. Let's go to Springfield, Massachusetts, where Springfield College resides with about 2,000 or so students. They produced a team of men that dominate the Division Three landscape year in and year out. Listen to this. Their record this season before the shutdown, 19-2. and two. They were just shy of going into tournament, uh, conference tournament play. In 2019, they reached the Final Four, and they were looking to avenge that uh, with this season's, uh, this year's postseason, excuse me, but obviously unable to. FYI, however, the Pride since 2012 have either reached the championship game or the semifinals every year winning the championship five times and giving up one set out of 15 in those five games. Absolutely dominant. They could have began the new decade with another dynasty-like run, but they'll be back next year, I'm sure, to try to get that going once again. And to all the seniors on that team, we salute you. You did your best while you were there for four years, got a couple rings on your fingers. We forgive you. Don't worry about it. Lastly here, I just want to reiterate that whether you had just a few games left to play, like the Springfield Pride, a tournament run in your sights, like the Aztecs, or 60% of the regular season left on your schedule, like the Princeton Tigers, all of you and all of these sports and their respective teams are suffering, and there's a lot of bitterness, and hopefully, amongst all the athletes, not much regret. I think the saying gets tossed around a lot that I always give 100% and leave everything I got on the field. Hopefully that's the case for a lot of these people because it could be the last time that they do step on the field. And what people don't realize is how essential that senior year, that final year, can be for somebody. Because although typically draft prospects are scouted and calculated for years prior to their senior year, that postseason play on top of their senior seasons themselves can solidify a big role in getting someone noticed and raising their stock and even be the breaking point in being a first or second round pick. You really never know. 
it's not fair to say that it makes no impact because it certainly can. And that's something that I think, you know, people are overlooking is that for the dreams of people growing up their whole lives wanting to go pro, that was their chance. And whether they get to do that or not is up to them and the schools accepting them. And similarly to how important a senior year could be to somebody trying to go pro, trying to get it to that, that extra level after college, there's people who waited all four years. They went through all the trainings, all the lifts, everything, just to be able to play their senior year. And there's people out there that were denied that chance after waiting for so long. People who had to wait their turn. People who were told by coaches every year they've got new recruits coming in. They've got a few people ahead of them in the depth chart. But they kept plugging away. People like that who just didn't get that opportunity in their last season and certainly aren't going to have room to be accepted back for another year. And so those should be the people on all of our minds, uh, on top of the top athletes, but those are the people who get opportunities afterwards. Similar to those seniors in high school who this is it for them, it's the same idea with this. Those people waited their turn, and they didn't get that turn. And so that's something I can really, really feel for and relate to. And I want them to know that people realize that. And before I wrap all of this up, I just want to make a few points and try to hone in on them from this episode. Firstly, do what's best for you. Use that year if you want to because you can and you only do college once. But otherwise, carry on. Don't let it ruin your attitude. Don't let it ruin your three and a half years that you had with all of your friends and all of your teammates and everything that you learned, the education you got. Don't let this pandemic get the best of you because it doesn't deserve it. it doesn't deserve anything, quite frankly, with all the destruction that it's doing around the world. So take all of that with you going forward as you go into the next chapter of your life, whether that's professional sports, an entry-level job, or a high-paying first job. Keep that killer athlete mindset and use that energy push it towards whatever you're going to be doing next in life and dominate it like you would. Don't let the pandemic ruin that final season. Treat the rest of your life like that final season because you would have gave it 110% if you could go back in time and tell yourself. So do that now that you do know it. And that's going to do it for me here in episode two, talking about the NCAA and the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a really unfortunate situation, as you've heard me say so many times, but it really can't be understated how much of an impact it has on these college athletes and how much it shakes things up for the years to come. So if you are a college athlete out there listening, I feel for you, I understand you, and hopefully I brought up some valid points here during this podcast. And I hope you all enjoyed listening and come back for part three when we talk about how professional sports have seen a ridiculously complex and impactful situation arise with the COVID-19 pandemic. So again, hope you enjoyed listening. This has been Tyler. Peace.